Join me there in Luke chapter 2. We are looking at the scene of Christ's birth in order to learn from the primary characters of the nativity story. I remind you that the purpose of this short series is to help you find joy in the season. Busy it may be, but will you find joy? You see, you can list, I'm sure, the joy killers in your life. The news you've recently heard, the way the job's turned, the way the economy is decimated, savings and retirement funds, the political state of things, the ugliness of war and famine around the world. The reality is we need to fight for joy. In the Sunday school hour in First Peter, we were reminded that hope is not a feeling. You don't lose hope. You choose not to hope. Because the command there in Peter is set your hope on the grace that is found in Christ. So we need to fight for joy. We need to choose to respond to the nativity story that we know so well with the joy that is built into it. So we're, we're taking five sermons, looking at five main characters to learn five lessons about finding joy. First, we considered the wise men. They taught us the joy of pursuing the truth. Then we studied the angels who taught us the joy of serving the king. Today, think with me about the shepherds. Let's consider the chronology of their encounter with the good news to see if their story can be a pattern for us. From these humble shepherds, I believe we can learn that we should find joy in sharing our hope. Joy in sharing our hope. You heard the text read for us. It's familiar. Although admittedly, for as long as now, probably, well, 15 years, I've been reading out of the English Standard Version. Um, You just can't help but hear the story of the gospel uh, nativity scene there in the King James language, if you grew up as I did, memorizing and hearing that for all those years. Uh, So when I hear, and in the same region, I'm immediately thinking, wait a minute, no, it's the same country. Uh, There were these shepherds abiding in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. From these shepherds and their encounter in the gospel, we are trying to find a pattern for our lives in finding joy in sharing the good news. So let's look at the shepherd's story and first see that their story begins with hearing the good news. Hearing the good news. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. I want us to think about this hearing. That's a familiar verse, verse 8. Shepherds in the country keeping watch over their flocks by night. 
But I want you to notice that this hearing was a divine appointment right in the middle of everyday life. Shepherds had been keeping watch over their flocks by night for centuries on these very hills. God's people had lived in this land for a long time. There was absolutely nothing out of the ordinary for shepherds to be managing flocks on this night. That is the definition of everyday life in verse 8. And yet in verse 9, we have this divine appointment, this, this intersection of everyday mundane living and God's purpose and agenda. So right in these verses, we can superimpose Galatians 4 when Paul writes there, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son. It's as if the clock had been ticking, counting down, just like it does in the games that you watch, you know, football game on TV or your college basketball team or kids are marking off the days one at a time till Christmas. The countdown in God's mind was narrowing until that moment when he released his angels to go and tell the shepherds this news. A divine appointment in everyday life. There were shepherds in the fields And then all of a sudden, the glory of the Lord is unleashed on them. The truth of the gospel penetrates the darkness, not only of the night, but perhaps the darkness of their minds to receive this good news. I want us to think that people who are right now in the darkness of unbelief, with no interest of, in the Bible, no interest in, in your message of good news, people right now that we know are lost, those people this week may hear of your hope, the gospel, and the glory of the Lord shine on them. The light that shines from the very face of Christ, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, could pierce the darkness so that they too would celebrate having heard the good news. People hear the gospel in the midst of everyday living just as the shepherds did. In, in, In a random encounter at Walmart or some seemingly obnoxious person on a sidewalk handing out gospel tracts or maybe a pretty much expected visit from a neighbor with a plate of cookies but a little bit of gospel truth in a tract or in a word at the door. And what seemed like very normal, very routine, very much everyday living was intersected by the power of the gospel, Romans 1.16 calls it. People will hear the gospel this week in the midst of their everyday lives, and it may prove to be that moment when they hear 
with fresh ears and open hearts. Well, then the text tells us that this hearing would result in joy. The angel said they had good news, good news of great joy. So this is true joy for those who really need it. Apparently, joy was not a common commodity of the day. Israel is the armpit of the world at this point, seemingly have lost all favor from God, dominated by Rome, dead in this religious system that has proved fruitless, economically bankrupt, they're slaves. There's just no hope. There's no brightness. There's no light. There's no joy. And the angels come to announce gospel, good news of great joy. And I just want you to remember, because our theme, remember, is sharing our hope. Remember this week, this information you have, this announcement you have, is a message of great joy. You're not going around handing out pink slips to people at the workplace. You're not announcing interest rates hikes. So let's, let's remember this is a message of joy that spilled out of heaven to these shepherds, and then they couldn't shut up about it. It was just their natural response to overflow with joy. You're announcing rescue. You're announcing relief. You're announcing righteousness. Just as our government signed off all those checks to send everybody free money, right, at COVID? Kind of free money. In that same sense of that free handout, here comes this gospel message that is just being announced to all. This is good news of great joy, which will be for all people. And I can't help but think about one of the details in this announcement. These angels say to the shepherds, to you is born this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. We have to believe that David was every shepherd's hero, right? The city of David, even by this point, that could almost be referred to Jerusalem. There was the old city of Jerusalem, which was called the city of David. It's where he had his first palace and such. And there was the newer part of the city, so it could almost be Jerusalem, but there's no way that's what this message meant. It's almost unnecessary information. The, the angel could have just said right there, right, right in this town that you're surrounding on these hills is where the Savior was born. But instead, it's clear, out of the city of David will come a Savior. This is, this is a tailor-made message for shepherds. Because, of course, that great hero David had been a shepherd, so every shepherd boy growing up would have dreamed of, oh, if only he could be a shepherd like David, 
who was summoned to defeat God's great enemy, Goliath, and then ultimately become king. Shepherds loved the story of David. Shepherd, savior, and king. And so when these angels announced to shepherds that in the city of David, a savior is born, in their minds, they would have hopefully have known the Old Testament story and known, we saw this before, a shepherd, savior, king, and now even that picture is coming true. And we're not going to be saved just from Philistines and a giant soldier. We're going to be saved from sin. We're going to be saved from our enemy, the devil. 1 John tells us that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. This is a militant announcement. And because it's all about a strategic military exercise, once this angel makes the announcement, we're told he's accompanied by the armies of heaven. Your word might be the hosts of heaven, but that's the word for armies. And just like Elijah and his servants saw the angel armies on the hillsides surrounding the Syrians, so these shepherds saw a mighty army ready to advance a gospel that cannot be defeated. Why? Because the shepherd, savior, king has been born. This is why we learn from the shepherds that ours is a hope to be shared. Because Jesus said, this hope, this gospel, this kingdom will advance. And the gates of hell can't withstand the attack. They can't build a big enough barricade to stop the gospel. So take heart. Those that you know and love that seem so hardened to the gospel, they've heard it before. And they'll come to your family gatherings a bit reluctantly because they don't want to hear all about your religion and your church. They can't withstand the kingdom. Share the gospel, remembering that an army of angels were summoned in order to make this announcement, the shepherd, savior, king has come. The story begins with hearing the good news, but then it moves on to believing the good news. <laughs> believing the good news. The text never says, and the shepherds believed what they were told. But I want to point you to several indications that belief is an integral part of the story. It begins just in the message. Born to you this day is a Savior who is the Christ. Well, that's not a name, that's a title. It became a name as the book of Acts unfolds and that first century church grows. Christ becomes synonymous with Jesus. It becomes literally the representation of the person, his name. But at this point, it was very much just a title. It simply meant the anointed one, 
the chosen one, the promised one, the Christ who will be the Lord. Christ is Messiah. This is the language of promise. This is all of the Old Testament rolled up in one word. Messiah. He's not yet come. We followed the whole story of Israel through kings and kingdoms, through exile, through a return, to rebuilding of the city, and now 400 years of silence. No Messiah yet. In those 400 years, there have been uprising, and the the great family of the Maccabees has warred against those who dominated Israel at the time, but never really accomplished deliverance. And now they're dominated by Rome, and they're awaiting a Messiah, and they've received one that they weren't expecting because they were expecting a warrior to defeat Rome. Yet God's plan was so much bigger. These shepherds heard of the Christ. And all of the Old Testament now had been brought to bear in their understanding of this announcement. This is the language of promise. Promise made and now promise kept. But then there's another indication of believing. I had never thought of this before, but as I read this announcement... This year, trying to think through what's here about shepherds that is going to be anything we haven't heard before. The angel says, a Savior who is Christ the Lord is born to you. And then this information is volunteered. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Well, nobody asked for a sign. At times, we think of those who ask for signs as being faithless. And yet here, a sign is completely valid because it's God's idea. The message the angels were delivering is a Savior is born. And to help you know that this is true, we're giving you a sign. It's a unique encounter with the gospel. Because we don't get to give the gospel to people and say, and here, I'll give you a sign to help you believe this. But at this moment in redemptive history where all of the waiting has been going on, we, we sing that in Angels from the Realms of Glory. We sing saints before the altar bending, watching long in hope and fear. It's been so long. And now, Jesus is in a manger, and of course, we, in our day, look back and think it's so obvious. Well, of course, and yeah, you just flip the switch, and now, instead of waiting, we just have Jesus, and we move on. But God, in his kindness to those, and we see it throughout the book of Acts and the signs and wonders of the apostles, we see it in Jesus' ministry, the signs and wonders, there is this gracious work of God to to help us understand this massive fulfillment of everything that has ever been. Jesus. All the promises of God are yes, fulfilled in Jesus. Because that's so mind-blowing, it's so full and big, God tells the angels, 
give them a sign. Let them know exactly what they'll find so that it confirms this message. And so a sign is volunteered by the angel. It's an, it's an invitation. It's saying, we want you to believe this, and we're going to make it easy on you. Well, I think another indication of faith is the shepherd's response. They say, let us go and see. All right, let's act on it. If this is true, we're going to find a baby wrapped in claws, lying in a manger. Again, familiar shepherding language. They would have wrapped sheep in claws to protect them. These were likely sacrificial lambs for the temple. Don't want to risk any blemish or spot on them, especially in these wobbling days of the little lambs. So all this is, is shepherds are getting it. They're, they're understanding it. And now they have this clear sign to look for, and they acted in faith. They believed what the angel said, and they go. And then the narrative is careful to inform us of the connection between sign given and sign received. The sign is you'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And verse 16 tells us that's what they found, that baby lying in the manger. And the text says next, and when they saw it, we would expect it to be like they knew it was true. They believed it. But it skips over that obvious conclusion and jumps right to our theme. If there is this faith, if we have heard the good news, believing the good news is the next step, yes, and it immediately steers us to sharing the good news. They made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. When they saw it, parentheses, they believed it, they knew it was true, Maybe they knew it was true and believed it out on the hillside, but now it's undeniable. They can't even question their own sanity. Like, did we make up that whole scenario out there? Now it's true. Like, they can see it. It's a little help to their faith because faith is evidence of things we don't see. Here, their faith is based on evidence they can see. Believing the good news. The sign is confirmed. They found the child exactly as the angels said. And when they saw it, they made known. The most pressing question of the morning is not about our theme, sharing the good news. The most pressing question is, have you believed the promise of God in Jesus? Do you believe this angelic message that a Savior was born because you cannot remedy your sin problem alone? You can't do it. You need a rescuer. You can't take on the great enemy of God's people, sin. You need a shepherd, Savior, King to do that for you. These shepherds believed the good news. And having believed the good news, it was natural for them to share the good news. 
So if you answered the question, yes, I believe Jesus is the Savior. I believe I can be made righteous by faith in him. I can be forgiven by faith in him. I can have everlasting life by faith in him. If you believe that, then it is only natural that your life would follow the text of verse 18. And when you heard it, parentheses, you believed, and made known the saying that had been told to you. This is the sharing of the good news. We knew this is where the text was going. The angels had already told them, this is good news of great joy, which will be for all people. This wasn't just a shepherd message, though it came specifically to them. It was a message, it was good news of great joy for all people. So that familiar phrase, which will be on many Christmas cards and be read millions of times around the world in the Christmas story, is is immediately indicating, it's foreshadowing the shepherd's response and our response. If this really is good news to us, if we really are filled with great joy, then we go to all people. It's just, it's as simple as the Christmas story. This is how it works. Great joy at great news and this great evangelism. The great making known. So that hint of sharing was there in the angelic announcement. It's for all the people. And then we see the clear definition of sharing. What do we mean when we say evangelize or evangelism or evangelistic outreach? We have that evangel word characterized as like a job description. That's somebody who travels and preaches, but that's not necessarily what the word means. It's just the word gospel. It's good news. It's a good news teller, a good news sharer. So the definition of sharing, the definition of evangelism is in a different form in verse 17. It's the verb make known. They made known the saying that was told to them. Well, what was told to them? A savior is born in the city of David and he's Lord. So a shepherd, savior, king has been born. That's the message we share. And these shepherds simply told to others what had been told to them. They saw it was true and made it known. No detour into the new members class where you learn about evangelism because you need a technique. You need need five verses or steps or something, right? No. Classes could be really helpful. There are a lot of great tools for helping you introduce the gospel to conversations. There are a lot of great scriptures that you should know, like Jesus, to adapt your gospel presentation to Pharisee Nicodemus or to Gentile woman at the well. Classes are good and training's helpful and maturing in your faith is necessary in evangelistic outreach, 
But don't think anything is required because these shepherds simply saw it was true and made known what? What was told to them. As much as they knew was that a Savior was born and he's the Messiah. God's promised answer. He's Lord. And they simply made that known. See, it helps us to understand what's really needed What's essential for you to be a witness? And there's just two things. You need something to tell, and you need someone to tell. That's what it means when Acts 1 says, and you shall be witnesses. What is a witness in a courtroom? What is a witness to an event? What does it mean to be a witness? It means you have something to tell because you've seen it, And the only other thing you need is someone to tell. So do you have something to tell? If so, all you need is someone. You you just have to cross your fingers and hope that this week you will see someone, right? Maybe someone out in the public, maybe a stranger, maybe you'll see someone in the workplace. The second one's just not going to be too hard. You are going to encounter all kinds of people who, in this month, will probably grin and bear your rambling about a Savior born, more so than they might typically. So by all means, if you have something to tell, tell it to someone. Figure it out. How are you going to make it known? Put it in your Christmas card. Put it in your Christmas letter. Write it on the back of the envelope if you already sealed them up and realized, man, that might be a great means of sharing some hope. Sharing is simply making known what has been told to us. Verse 18, And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. We'd like to think that means wondering in faith, wondering in worship, but we don't know. It might be, that's the strangest thing I ever heard. It might have been, oh, we've heard all this talk about messiahs for hundreds of years. Here comes another one. It may have been, what are you stinky, literally, stinky shepherds doing in our town? Get out. We don't care what you're saying. The text simply says, the shepherds made known and all who heard it wondered. At the very least, this reminds us, as Parker mentioned briefly in his word of greeting, that results are not the measure of our evangelistic success. Seeing somebody believe the instant you share the gospel does not make your evangelism successful. Remember, you're a witness. You have something to tell, and you tell it to somebody. When you do that, you have been successful in evangelism, in good news telling. 
The shepherds aren't judged on how many of these wandering people actually believed. Notice they never even said, why don't you go and see the baby in the manger? They just made known what had been told to them. A savior is born. Maybe that included going to the manger, but we're not told. So at the very least, let us remember in this season that we make the good news known and we're not responsible for making people believe it, like it, want more of it. That's not our task. It's not even in the realm of our ability. We could apply this to our parenting. The Bible says, bring your children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Keep putting into their head what is true and right. Unto you is born a Savior. You're proving you desperately need one. But you can't make them believe. The text doesn't say produce believing children. It says tell it to the next generation. And so it is here with the shepherds. They made known. People wondered. Whatever that means. As you share the gospel, every sharing is success. Every sharing is obedience. Every sharing is a fulfillment of being what God called you to be, a witness. But just like in a courtroom, the witness isn't responsible to make sure the jury gets the right verdict. He just shares what had been made known to him. What I want you to feel this morning is this great relief. I don't have to make up a script. I don't have to convince people. I don't have to say I'm a good witness because I got this person to come to church with me or they prayed a prayer or now they're a faithful, zealous Christian. No, you can be excited with every passing of the good news to someone else in any way, shape, or form. Sometimes it's long conversations, sometimes it's short ones. Sometimes it's a gospel track, sometimes it's a long letter you can write to someone. Sometimes it may be the simple prayer you pray at the family Christmas. Other times it might be extended debate on your religion. But at the very least, let's look at humble shepherds and learn that sharing our hope means just that, the sharing of it. And we'll entrust to God that he, by his spirit, will do that work of convicting hearts of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Our responsibility is to share. It's what we must do. We can make known what we know. And as familiar as Luke 2 is to us, we can't say we don't know what to say. Just say a Savior has been born. Make known the hope of rescue from sin. Make known the hope of reconciliation to God. Make known the hope of rest in the midst of the chaos of the world. And make known the hope of heaven beyond it. The final chapter of the shepherd's story involves rejoicing in the good news. The text simply says, they went back glorifying and praising God. Glorifying, praising. 
This is what the good news of great joy leads to. Leads to worship. Worship. This joyfully overflowing praise for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. They're just excited about it. You give your kid a nice gift at birthday or Christmas and it's that thing they really wanted, they're excited about it. They tell somebody about it. They tell their friends what they got. I got this new bike. I've been wanting this BMX bike. Good night. We, we just eat at a decent restaurant with decent service, right? And we're excited to tell people, oh, that's a great place. It's not good news of great joy, but it's like decent news. And food tends to bring us joy a little bit, right? Uh, so we naturally share it. Well, let's naturally share the glory of God. I can't believe that he's done it again. Raised up a shepherd that can defeat our enemies and can reign as a good and faithful king. We have good news in a world that doesn't get much of that. We have great joy. And though the world has its pretend joys, they don't know the abiding joy that we know, a joy that leads to worship. Good news of great joy that leads to glorifying and praising God. This is our permission to celebrate Christmas. Glorify and praise God for the good news that we have. Now, if that looks like all these other traditions and all the fanfare that comes along with Christmas, great. Just Enjoy those things as celebration. It's like the parade. Marching in a 4th of July parade does not bring us independence, right? No, it's just a means of celebrating it. So if you do stuff for Christmas, great. But especially make sure for the little ones in your household that you're reminding them, this stuff we do because it's like confetti, we, we, it's just fun. It just fills the atmosphere with the joy for the reason God's Savior that was born. So indulge in a little celebration of Christmas. Good news is worth celebrating. Light has dawned for those who sat in darkness. Salvation has come. So sing of the long wait for hope. Sing of the dark streets of Bethlehem. Sing of a world in sin and error, wasting away. Sing of a curse that spreads wide. But sing of a salvation that spreads wider. Sing. Rejoice, give thanks, and share our hope. Let the shepherds push you this week toward joy, a joy that is found 
in sharing our hope. Heavenly Father, we love this story. You love this story. You set this story up for thousands of years. And in the the moment of this text that we read, you, you pulled back the curtain and displayed for all to see grace and truth in its fullness in Christ, our Savior and Lord. Would you make us faithful messengers conduits of good news. It flows through us and we simply make it known to others. And may everything else that comes with a Christmas season simply be the parade that reminds us that we truly do have something to celebrate. Your kindness to us, your mercy in saving us while we were yet sinners saving us through Christ Jesus our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen.